Hello, and welcome to the Mom Flies Solo podcast, the podcast to listen to when you need a lift. This is episode five, which I'm calling When Life Gets Lord of the Fliesy. You just heard a movement of brush strokes by Alyssa Morris, which was commissioned and performed by the Athenia Trio on our album, which we also called Brush Strokes, on Navona Records. In today's episode, I have a sensory theme. So our moment of meditation is going to be on the sense of touch. So I want you to just bring your awareness to all of the sensations of touch in your body. The things that we don't often notice, like our feet touching the floor or touching our shoes, which are touching the floor. The weight of our hands on our legs or on our desk. Our hair brushing our face. Any slight breeze in the air. And just take a few moments to notice the sensations of touch in your life right now. Thank you for becoming present with me. This last month, since the last podcast episode, has been a very exciting one. A Yahoo News article came out that featured me. It's called Finding Bay After Baby by Michelle Stansberry, in case you haven't read it yet. So that was exciting to get national press. In this week's episode, I interview a longtime friend who is also a pediatric occupational therapist. I talked to her about her in this week's blog. I've been thinking about the blogs and podcasts I admire most, and currently one of them is the Holderness family, and I love how they can just turn on a dime between hilariously funny to really open and vulnerable. So I share a story in this episode, which is probably the most raw story I've told yet, but I hope that Whoever is out there and needs to hear it will hear it and will know they're not alone. Today, I am thrilled to welcome Angela Fulkerson Fulchik, nationally board certified occupational therapist and therapy director for University of Kentucky Pediatric Therapies. Welcome, Angie, to the Mom Flies Solo podcast. Oh, thank you, Michelle. I'm honored to be here today. I'm thrilled to have you. So I shared in this week's blog post that you were the person who a couple of years ago asked me if you could do a sensory evaluation for Scott and that that really turned my life around and was a big changing point for us. So I wanted to share a story that I think I might have shared with you at the time about what was going on right before the point where you approached me. we were really feeling out of control in life. I mentioned that it felt sort of Lord of the Fliesy. We still have those moments these days, but especially then, both in private and in public, there were some really wild things happening. There was a lot of dysregulation, and I didn't know what to call it at that point. And there's one 
story that really sticks out of my mind from shortly before you and I talked and you first did that sensory evaluation on Scott, where we had gone to visit family and we were at the point of saying goodbye and we needed to get some food to take in the car on the trip back to Ohio. And so we went to Good Foods Co-op there in Lexington, which I know you'll recognize. And I was just going to grab some grab and go items that we could take into the car. But right away, Scott was really getting out of control. And I know it was a transition point. We were about to leave family. It was hard. Um, We had my brother and sister-in-law and niece and nephew there in the store with us. And as I was grabbing things off the shelf, Scott was just grabbing the cart and running with it and jumping up on it and then crashing into people. And I realized quickly that I needed to just grab him and just get us out of the store. So we managed to get through the checkout and I was holding his hand, taking him to the car. And suddenly he broke away from me and he ran back into the store. And I went in and I couldn't see him anywhere. And I started asking people, have you seen my son? Did my son run past you? And I could just see all the mom's ears perk up like foxes. And suddenly we had this pack of people searching for my son through the aisles. And every time I went down an aisle where all the boxes were knocked off both sides, I knew he'd been there. And finally, I came to this place where all the cereal boxes were knocked out. And I found him in a shelf, like balled up and laughing hysterically and just wildly out of control. And I tried to pick him up and he was thrashing and hitting me. And and I had to throw him over my shoulder and firemen's carry out him out. And, and now I'm thinking as I tell this story that, you know, probably somebody from Good Foods Co-op is going to be listening and I'm going to get this bill for all the damage we caused. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I got him out to the car and I was trying to get him in the car seat and he broke away from me again and he climbed on the top of our car and I'm trying to get a hold of him and he's backing away from me and I'm afraid he's going to fall off the other side of the car because he was just so out of control. And I finally just grabbed him whatever part of him I could and pulled him off of the car and stuffed him into the car seat. Luckily, he was small enough. He could still be in those five point harnesses where I could just pull it pretty firm. And he was thrashing and screaming, but I just got him in the car. And then I was crying my eyes out by that point. And I looked up and my sister-in-law is also weeping. So we're just hugging in the parking lot, crying loudly. And my brother is just sitting there trying to hold the baby and hold my niece's hand and Scott screaming and thrashing. And I can't help but think, you know, what are those people who are passing us at that point think, you know, I mean, it's like some pregnant couple thinking, eh? <laughs> oh. <laughs> before they have a kid. But, you know, the thing is, I had never thought that sort of thing was going to happen to me. And I guess there are a lot of things in parenting that we don't think are ever going to happen to us. But I think that I blamed myself so much. And I think that there might be other people who need to hear this and need to hear that it's not because, I mean, none of us are the parent we thought we were going to be before we had kids. I mean, honestly. And, but I think other people need to know that it's not just something we've done wrong as parents and that there are things that can be done to help and to make life more manageable and to regulate. You know, when there are kids whose brains just work differently and have different needs. So I loved that you approached me. And I remember you actually being pretty, um, I don't know if shy is the right word, but you know, you were like, is this okay for me to do a sensory evaluation? I was like, please, <laughs> you know, anything that could help. <laughs> 
<laughs> so you, I was really impressed that you recognize the signs from the outside. And I just want to thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You know, Michelle, I want to thank you for sharing your story because I think that takes so much courage. And I really do think you hit the nail on the head when you talked about just that internal feeling as a mom, like, oh my gosh, is it something I'm doing? Mom guilt is, it is a thing. And, you know, I think we all struggle with that because we just want to do the best with the knowledge and the tools that we're given. And, um, you know, as far as the apprehensiveness, so I will say sometimes you have to take off your work hat when you're with friends and family and wait either until you see that they are, you know, kind of in a subtle way asking for some outreach because, you know, opinions, everybody has one. And so you always want to be careful <laughs> with what you share and to leave that door open so people know that you're here if you if you want help, we're here, but not to just try to like, you know, push your viewpoint and your experiences on other people at the same time. So I appreciate your willingness. You know, we had all reconnected during COVID online, which has been, oh my gosh, such a blessing in so many ways. But, you know, for me, the, the key point was when you started talking about the sleep and we all, we all need sleep and that is just such a key area. So thank you for letting me be part of your journey. I'm really honored to be here today. And I'm just thrilled to have you here. So I wanted to talk a little bit about just what is occupational therapy? I didn't have a really strong concept before we started doing it. And then I've found as I've the more I've learned about it, the more I realize just how many things it encompasses. And I feel like a lot of people understand what, say, physical therapists do or other kinds of therapists, but there's not a great understanding about occupational therapy um, out there. So I'd love to just have a general description of it. Oh, sure. So, you know, the great thing about occupational therapy in general is that we do span the lifespan from infancy to adults and and everything in between. But when we're talking about pediatric occupational therapy, it really is still relatively unknown. I'm sure if you were to call my parents, they still couldn't describe it, but they would use some of the language they've heard me use over the years with, with my <laughs> own children or my nieces and nephews. Um, but you know, when children are little and because, you know, no one ever holds their beautiful baby and says, oh gosh, I hope one day we need to go see an occupational therapist to help us with self-regulation and sleep and all of those other things that, you know, <laughs> babies do. Um, so, you know, yes, physical therapist, you know, for walking or speech therapist when families have language concerns, but sometimes it just takes a little extra um, education and nurturing on what a pediatric occupational therapist does. So the biggest thing for an OT is we really want to help children gain independence while strengthening all of those developmental skills, whether it's fine motor, sensory motor, visual motor, everything that child needs to function, play, socialize, and interact with their peers. So, you know, we kind of encompass a large umbrella of things. And then a lot of different professionals may start to specialize in different areas. I'm really lucky here in our department that we are a multidisciplinary group. So we really collaborate a lot to really look at the holistic need of the child and the family. Meaning that you have also speech therapists on your staff and- Correct, and physical therapists, therapist. yes. That's awesome, great. Well, so if a parent should feel like they need help, like I did back then, and not know how to go about getting it, well, how would you advise them to get started? Oh, that's a really, that's a really great question. So um, 
I hate to sound like my dad and start back at the beginning, but if you have a little one, you know, like with our infants, our, our itty bitties, a lot of times, a lot of our referrals will initially come in for feeding, right? Feeding and sleep, those self-regulation things that can be very hard for children. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, like if they're under three, depending on the state that you live in, it has a different name, but there's usually an early intervention service that you as a parent can make that first outreach and call. So in the state of Kentucky, we have first steps, our early intervention program. I believe it's called something different in Ohio, Um, but this is a federal program and parents can call. The first thing I would tell parents to do though, is to have a conversation with their pediatrician. And that may sound a little bit of a little bit of a different direction, but the thing I've really come to recognize over the years is that in these very early stages, when you start to have those conversations, it starts to lay a groundwork. And so with a lot of the early intervention services, you can call as a parent and kind of direct that, but it kind of starts to give your child's, you know, medical care provider an idea of the journey that you're on to continue to help support you as a parent, because they may have some other resources in their office. More than likely, they have other outpatient clinics that they have worked with or that they've sent children to that parents share if they have a positive experience. So that can kind of open up some resources that you may not know exist in your community. Once they hit around age three, you can call your local school and you can ask for an educational evaluation. And they may also have some providers in your area who you'd be able to reach out to. Great. That's very helpful. Definitely the next place after you had done that evaluation, the next place I took it was Scott's pediatrician, who then immediately gave him a referral. So that was really helpful. Cool. Yeah. Um, Well, and you know, with that too, Michelle, sometimes too, depending on, so insurance will pay for occupational therapy, depending mm -hmm. on your payer source. And if a family doesn't have access to insurance, there's some other programs that can help as well. So that's another nice reason. Some payer sources require a referral from a pediatrician and others do not. Interesting. Great. So that is definitely a good place to start. And I will say that I really love that there are occupational therapists who really specialize in pediatrics, because then when I very first got the referral and then tried to do it with the closest place, I found that it's it's not the same when they do everybody, um, that they just have a lot more resources and a lot more uh, specificity when it is a place like now we go to Nationwide Children's that only does children. And I know that you there completely specialize in children. Correct. Yes. I would yep. agree with that. Yeah. And, you know, and you just, you know, when you have an area you specialize in it, then you find yourself reading and researching, even when you're just sitting at home on your couch and you should be doing something else. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then my follow-up question is, I wonder, because it has really changed my life to start using occupational therapy concepts in the home. And I wonder even what things could help even parents of so-called neurotypical children who also are going to have meltdowns and a lot of the same things, but just it's a matter of, I think, intensity and frequency um, with the neurospicy kids. But what can everyone learn and apply um, at home that's from OT concepts? Well, I, first, I love your description. I think that is spot on. And, you know, a lot of times what I will tell my families that I'm working with is that, you know, when we're looking at these different states of regulation and we have these big behaviors, 
way to kind of look at that is the frequency, the intensity, and the duration, because then you can start to gauge whether the tools that you're using are really working in that everyday, you know, kind of situation. So I will say there are a lot of really great resources online and there are some fantastic books and I can send you those if you'd like those, Michelle, um, that you can put on your, your site for your readers. Oh yeah, um, I'm not paid by any of these people. They're just, they're just resources I have found really helpful over the years. Um, anything by Lucy Miller is absolutely fantastic. She is in Colorado, Dr. Lucy Miller. And then um, there is the Out of Sync Child with Carol Cranowitz is the author of that. And so what I really like about that particular resource is it really puts a lot of what parents observe in very family-friendly terms. And so then when you're reading, you know, you don't feel like you're reading a textbook, right? You can you can kind of look through and say, oh, you know what, I've, I've seen that with my kid. And I think the biggest tool that you get um, when you're working closely with your occupational therapist as a parent is you really get a new set of eyes that you can you can kind of look at what's going on and you can see that behavior, but then you're able, you have the tools now that you can take a step back and say, okay, is this a transition? Have I asked them to do something that is too hard for them? Do I need to incorporate some visual supports? Are there some other activities to help calm their little nervous system so that they can really attend and focus and be ready to learn and play? And I think that is what, as an OT, when you work closely with the families, the tool that really helps them the most because families, Michelle, they are so creative. And some of the best tools that I have found to use in clinic practice have been as families have talked and they said, oh, you know, I tried this and it worked really well. Um, have you ever thought about using this? Can I do that? And then they share their own insights and ideas. And I think when that relationship becomes really collaborative, I think that's when you're really meeting the needs, not only of the child, but of the family. And for your neurotypical children, I mean, you know, everybody has an ebb and a flow to their day, right? We have some days that we can get up and we can get ready and we can go to work or go to school and everything is kind of, you know, just easy peasy, right? Lemon breezy. And you just kind of float through your day, but you have some days like, let's just take in Kentucky the last week where we've been without power after the windstorm. And now everything is dysregulated, right? And it just kind of sets you up like where you're not really ready and you need a few more tools. Maybe you need a little extra time before you leave the house or a second cup of coffee as an adult. Adults and children, they've all been a little bit more dysregulated. And so we all naturally find those tools within our own toolbox, so to speak, those things that we commonly come back to to help us regulate. And so our neurotypical and our neurospicy kids, they need those tools too. That's awesome. That's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. This has just been really incredible and just a gift to get to sit down and talk to you about this. And um, I, you've been such a big help in my life. And I know that you have helped so many hundreds of kids down there too. And I really feel like you have just given a gift of devoting your life to the work that you do. Oh, Michelle, thank you. That really, that, that really touches me deeply. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you to my Patreon sponsors and to all of my listeners. Have a great month and I'll see you next month and I'll write to you in between.